reading is um, from John chapter 14, um, starting at verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you love me, loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Amen. Normally I prepare um, my prayers on Saturday night. But this morning I had uh, a strong conviction that I should change some of them and pray for Trump and for Theresa May and for stranded and confused refugees and asylum seekers. So let us pray. Lord, before we pray for others, we want to thank you. We thank you with our offerings, and we thank you in our prayers. Thank you for what we share with other people. We've all been made in your image, and we all need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ for we have all sinned and gone far from you. You've told us to love you and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Thank you for the resources you have given us to help others and to show your love. 
and we pray for those charities and other groups through which we can channel our support. Thank you that Tear Fund has enabled us to partner with Gilgal Church in Rwanda and is facilitating that relationship. And we pray for Neil and for those who will shortly go with him to Rwanda to cycle around that country and raise awareness of its needs and raise funds to help meet those needs. Lord, we know that cycling can be difficult and dangerous there. The state of the roads is not always great, and the locals have their own individual driving styles. So we pray that you will keep Neil and his colleagues safe as they cycle. We pray for his meeting with the folk from Gilgal Church. May that further our relationship. And may the whole cycling event succeed in its objective that people may meet the Savior through the practical help which sponsorship will support. Continue, we pray you, to bless our developing relationship with our partners in Rwanda too. As Damien has indicated, we pray for the children at Kidzone. Thank you for the great privilege of having such children and indeed young people within our fellowship. Thank you for the various kids' own teams that in turn serve in the teaching and instruction and caring for these little people. Lord, may what is done there help them and indeed us all to love you and keep your commandments. We pray for Donald Trump and the American people. We pray for Theresa May and the British nation and for those res refugees whose hopes of sanctuary were dashed yesterday. Lord, where issues of national security, economic necessity, and common humanity may come into conflict. Grant that these and all world leaders might know the, the wisdom of Solomon, the patience of Job, the winsomeness of the young David, and the compassion of the Lord Jesus. We bring the needs of members of our fellowship, praying specifically for the family of Annie Stewart and of Hugh Hamilton in their time of loss, remembering those who still carry the pain of bereavement, of loss, of illness, of life's rough edges and sharp bumps. We pray for them and for those on our hearts at this time.
here in highest heaven and answer for your glory's sake. Amen. If you'd like to take a, a pew Bible and turn to page uh, 1082, so page 1082, you'll find uh, John chapter 14. Um, we're looking at verses, particularly verses 15 uh, to 31 this morning. So let me pray for us as we come to this passage in John's Gospel this morning. Father, we pray for your Spirit's enabling as we come to read your word, as we come to apply it, as we come to learn more of you from it. Lord, we've been singing, Lord, unveil my eyes, let me see you, the knowledge of your love as you live in us. Father, bless your word to us this morning, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In 1970, a music album called Tea for the Tillerman by Cat Stevens uh, was brought out. And the album contained a very famous song called Father and Son, which was later sung by the likes of Rod Stewart, and then later in 1995... Uh, do you remember the boy band made up of uh, Ronan Keating and Stephen Gately called Boyzone? Look at the state of them. <laughs> 1995, when I checked this out, I was going, 95? It's ages ago. And they did a cover version of Father and Son. Do you remember it? The song itself is a conversation or exchange between a father and a son and how they're at odds or different opinions over decisions being made about the future. And so the lyrics go like this. Could I do a Ronan Keaton twang? Let's see. It's not time, remember that, to make a change. Just relax. Take it easy. You're still young. That's your fault. Then it goes on. It's the same old story, same old story. From the moment I could talk, I was ordered to listen. Now there's a way, and I know I have to go away. I know I have to go away. All right, it's not a great song, but the lyrics are catchy. The f- <laughs> The father and the son is a fractured relationship in this song, even that Cat Stevenson uh, wrote, and they're wanting different things. And as we focus on John chapter 14, open in front of you this morning, we are actually brought into or given insights into another father and son relationship, namely that of God the Father and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to Jesus' words. Have a look at them in chapter 14, verses 11 to 13, where you see the father and son relationship is described or connected like this. Verse 11, believe in me, Jesus says, when I say that I am in the father and the father is in me. Verse 12, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the father. And in verse 13, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Three initial things before we come to verses 15 to 31 in these verses. The first is this, verse 11, that Jesus and the Father are one. We've already seen this in chapter 1, verse 1, where Jesus is declared the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. In John 10, you cannot get away from it. Verse 30, Jesus explicitly and emphatically says, I and the Father are one. There's no hostility, no difference. Jesus is God, God the Son. 
and he is of one substance and being with the Father. The second thing we see here is that he tells his disciples that he's going to the Father, returning to him. Jesus has been sent by his Father into this world, taken on flesh, and now we know from this chapter he'll soon be departing. Only a little longer, he says, he'll be with his disciples, returning to the Father. The third thing there in verse, in, in, in verse 13 is Jesus is telling the disciples that he brings glory to the Father. And Jesus does this by revealing who God is through his words, life, and obedience, and it brings glory to his Father in heaven. This is all good stuff, and we'll, we'll delve into it a little bit more. And it's all very well from Jesus, but for the disciples, it's hard. It's upsetting. It's troubling for them. They spent the last number of years with this man called Jesus, given up jobs, and had him as their Lord, Master, and Teacher. And now he is preparing them for his death, resurrection, and return to his Father in heaven. And all this will mean, and what it will mean for them going forward. And this is the context of verses 15 to 31. And this morning, rather than go verse by verse through the verse, I want to draw out three things from verses 15 to 31 that you have open in front of you. Here are the three headings so you know where we're heading. The first is this, the promise. The second is the love and obedience of the Son. And then the love and obedience of Jesus' followers. So let's start with the first one, the promise. In verses 16 and 17, do you see it there? We see the following, that Jesus will ask the Father, and God the Father will give the disciples another counselor to be with them forever. When you hear the word counselor, what, what, what comes to mind? Maybe you have the, psyche, the chair, all right? And you think, cup of coffee, tears, tissues. Or maybe you think of the professional that maybe some of you are going to, or that you know is good for helping when talking through issues or concerns. That's our kind of conception, isn't it, of the counselor. But the word here for counselor doesn't carry our modern-day understanding of it, but rather the word is best understood in the, in the context of a, a courtroom setting, a legal world. Imagine the courtroom setting where someone comes alongside you. They witness for you, maybe, or probably speak up for you. They're known as an advocate, this is the kind of idea that counselor has here in verse 16. Jesus promises to ask the Father to send another helper, another advocate to the disciples of Jesus Christ. But the word another implies that the disciples already have one, don't they? And they do in the person of Jesus. But Jesus is departing. And now within the economy of the Godhead, God the Father is sending another advocate Verse 17 tells us more about this advocate, this counselor that's going to come. He is the spirit of truth. Jesus has already, hasn't he, in verses 14, in chapter 14, verse 6, said that he is the way, the truth, the life. And now the spirit of the truth was going to come. So we learn more about this promise, counselor, the spirit of truth in verses 26 and 27. Do you see it? Where it gives us more information, probably more language that we're familiar with. It says, but when the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Here in these verses, the spirit of the truth is named as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a third person of the Godhead in the Christian faith. 
The Nicene Creed teaches the following biblical truth about it. Maybe we could say this together this morning as a, a creedal. Let's say it. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. And with the Father and the Son, He is worshipped and glorified. What biblical truth that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, comes from the Father and the Son, but He's worshipped as if He was the Father and the Son as well, the Godhead. And the disciples on hearing of this counselor, this Holy Spirit, they would have been familiar with the promises of the Old Testament, where the outpouring of the Spirit was promised. Listen to the prophets, Ezekiel and Joel. Ezekiel said this, I will put my Spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the the Lord, have spoken, and I have done this, declares the Lord. Given the Spirit... Joel, which comes true in Acts chapter 2, he said this, afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And then at the end, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So the promised Holy Spirit advocate was not just a new teaching in the New Testament for these disciples. It wasn't something that they were unfamiliar with. And Jesus here in John chapter 14 is preparing his disciples for the departure of himself, but the coming of the Holy Spirit. But the question you have is this, isn't it? What is the ministry or role of the Holy Spirit? What will the Holy Spirit do? Many people have that question today. What's the Spirit's work? How does the Spirit work in the life of the Christian or the Christian church? How does the Spirit relate to the non-believing world? And some of those questions we will face in a couple of weeks' time with chapter 16, But for this morning, we're given in these verses, verses chapter 14, verse 26, two two things that the Holy Spirit will be doing. Do you see them? In verse 26, he will teach the disciples all things, and he will remind them of everything Jesus has said. The Holy Spirit, who is sent from the Father and the Son, who is their advocate, coming to live in the disciples, will teach the disciples all things. Jesus has been doing this while with his followers, now the Spirit will come and teach. Don Carson in his John's commentary says this, the Spirit's ministry is to remind the disciples of Jesus' teaching, to help them grasp its significance, and to teach them what it meant. The Holy Spirit has a teaching role and ministry to these disciples, but why was it needed? Why did it need the Holy Spirit? Yes, Jesus is returning, and the coming of the Spirit, but surely it's because these disciples are just like you and I, aren't they? If you have read some of the Gospels, last Thursday night we were in Christianity Explored and we read Mark chapter 8, and in Mark chapter 8, Jesus, it's a turning point in the Gospel, and Jesus says to his disciples, clear as day, he says this, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and he must be killed after three days rise again. Jesus spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter didn't get it. What do you mean you're going to suffer? You're the Messiah. You'll rise again. He wasn't having it. Jesus repeats that exact same phrase in Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 10. He was going to suffer, be rejected, killed, and rise again. Even after the resurrection of Jesus, when Peter and John went in to look into the empty tomb, we read in John 20, verse 9, 
they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. I don't know about you, but they encourage me because they're slow learners. They're people who they had Jesus as their teacher, and yet they didn't grasp it all. And post-cross, post-resurrection, these disciples were still in need of being taught and reminded of all that Jesus told them. And that is why the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth, is a gift from God to teach and remind these disciples of all that Jesus said and did. They need the Spirit to teach them. When Jesus returns to the Father, the disciples need reminding of Jesus' words. What difference does all this make? What application can be drawn from it? What difference does it make that the Spirit comes? The first thing is this, is that you cannot read these verses and not see the Trinitarian focus on it. You cannot miss or get away from the relationships and working of the Trinity, even though it is not said here in word. There's no Trinity word here in these verses. Jesus, who is the truth, and now the Spirit of the truth, is promised from God the Father and Son. I love the way the Shorter Catechism puts it like this when teaching what is God. It says this, what is God? What is God? God is spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, and goodness, and truth. That is who God is. Then it goes on in question five, and it says this, are there more gods than one? The answer, there is but only one, the living and true God. And then it goes, how many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one God, the same in substance and equal in power and glory. If you take, that is difficult to get your head around, but if you take the Gospels, and John's Gospel particularly, it is showing us there is one God in three persons so that God's purposes and will are worked out in perfect harmony, unity, and for the glory of God. We see Jesus declaring himself to be the truth, but then he sends the spirit of the truth. In perfect harmony, they work together to bring glory and purposes in the will of God. That is an amazing teaching on the Christian faith. The second relevance of all this is that it has relevance for the word of God. Many of the disciples that we have would later go on to write the New Testament teaching of the Gospels in the New Testament. You will hear people at your work, your neighbors, your friends debating, can you trust the New Testament? Sure, it was written by men with their own understanding and, 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 and take on things. So how can we trust this to be the very Word of God? But these verses before us this morning, internal evidence from God's Word, are telling us that God has given His Spirit his Holy Spirit to these disciples to teach and remind them of all that Jesus had said. Yes, they were human authors. Their personality and writing style is clearly demonstrated in the different books and letters that we have in the New Testament. But we need to remember that the Apostle Peter, the guy named here in the Gospels, would later write the following about his own letter. Above all, he says, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For the prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What this means is that the Spirit of God, which was given to the disciples, taught and reminded them of Jesus' teachings and as they wrote the Gospels. The question is, is it true? Because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, 
And for this book to be false, misleading, unfounded, means that the spirit of truth is simply not true. And so that's why we run Christianity Explored courses, so that people can read the scriptures for themselves, so that the spirit can reveal himself and reveal Jesus to them. But we see in verse 17, this is the response often of the world, of our neighbors, our friends, even ourselves. And it says in verse 17, do you see it there? The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know me. And this is the reality. When we start talking about the spirit of God or even God himself as spirit, I can't see him or I don't know him. And so we reject it. Folks, this understanding of the Holy Spirit's role in ministry should give us confidence in the scriptures and their contents, which God breathed out for us and is useful for your salvation, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That is the first one, the promise of the Holy Spirit. The beauty of it is, is that God gives us as Christians the Holy Spirit to indwell us. Secondly, and more briefly this morning, these verses, verses 15 to 31, show us the love and obedience of the Son, Jesus. Love and obedience is what marks out the relationship between Son and Father. Look at verse 31, where it says this, the world must learn that I love the Father and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Jesus is sent by the Father. What Jesus teaches and does has been commanded by God, and Jesus shows his love and obedience to his Father through carrying out his will and purposes, which ultimately leads him to the cross of Calvary. And because Jesus loves the Father, and because he is obedient to the Father, Jesus can say at the end of verse 30, do you see it? The prince of this world, Satan, is coming, but he has no hold on me. That phrase, no hold on me, is the opposite of the person, say, who's blackmailing somebody. They have a hold on the other person, don't they? Because of some secrets or things they know or have done, they have a hold on them. They have a claim, a piece of dirt or scandal on them. But Jesus said, the prince of this world has no claim on me. But when it comes to Satan, who is known as the prince of this world, the accuser, the father of lies, he cannot make any accusation against Jesus. Satan doesn't have sinful dirt to throw at Jesus because Jesus loved his father and obeyed him in everything. This morning, the bad news for you and me is that Satan has plenty of hold on us. He accuses us. He points the finger. And there is sinfulness. Lots of it. Dirt, shame, scandal. None of us can say, Satan, you've no claim on me. But you know something? We have one who stands in for us against the accuser. We have one who has always loved, always obeyed the Father, Jesus Christ. And the good news this morning is this verse from chapter 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What grace, what love and action this is to undeserving people like you and I, that God's son takes our sin when he had no sin. He takes our shame and pays our debt for sin at the cross and he turns God's wrath away from us so that we may be made right with God. So Satan has no longer a claim 
on the believer's life. Isn't that wonderful to think? Because of the love and obedience of the Son, Satan has no claim on the Christian. Amazing love. How can it be? Thirdly and lastly this morning, we see the love and obedience of Jesus' followers. Throughout verses 15 to 31, we see a few times throughout these verses. Follow with me. In verse 15, it says this. You can't have missed it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Verse 23, if, you, if, you, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. When Jesus here speaks about commands and teaching, it is talking about all that Jesus has taught, his revelation and commands. And so in these verses, verses four, chapter 14, verse 34, we saw last week, he has given us a command, love one another as I have loved you so that you must love one another. By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. A trademark of a follower of Jesus is that they love Jesus and that is demonstrated by their obedience to his commands and teaching. And do you see the impact or implication of loving Jesus and following his word? Verse 21, because you love Jesus, you are loved by the Father and Jesus will love you and shows himself to you. What an encouragement that is. Verse 23 goes on. My father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. And so what we have here is followers of Jesus in their love of Jesus and in their demonstration of obedience, Jesus reveals himself. Jesus dwells with them. What does that look like? It means this for us as followers here this morning. It means working out what God's word says about being a friend, a family, a husband, a wife, a church elder. What does it mean to respond to outsiders, to government? What does it mean to be his people? How we relate to one another, humility, serving, washing feet type of Christians. It means asking the question, what is Jesus teaching about ethics? What is Jesus teaching about lifestyle? What does Jesus teach about our resources? He says, if you obey me, you will keep my commands. And that is the challenge for us as believers, that Jesus brings us into a relationship with himself. He loves us. The Father dwells in us through his Holy Spirit. And then he calls on those who are his to love and follow after him, to follow his word, follow his ways and command, loved by God and indwelt by him. This morning we see the promise of the Holy Spirit. We see the love and obedience of the Son. And we see the challenge to love and obey as followers of Jesus. This is the, where the rubber hits the road with the third one, isn't it? Is that if we say we belong to Christ, it will show itself in how we love and obey his word. Folks, I don't know about you, but as I think about that, there are so many blind spots in our lives as a family of God, that we say we're Christians, but then we do the opposite of what his word says. And here this morning, Jesus says, I've given you the Holy Spirit. My son, love and obeyed me so that you could become part of being a Christian and the family of God. And the challenge to us morning is this, if you love me, you will love my commandments. Folks, many of us here this morning aren't following Jesus as we should. We're not living on his commandments. 
And Jesus says this morning, there is forgiveness for us. But others of us need to think through more. What does it mean to be a Christian husband? What does it mean to be a Christian wife? What does it mean to work as a Christian? And then when we define those things in God's word, he will lead us and guide us in his ways along that. Let me pray for us this morning as we continue in our worship of God. Father God, we thank you this morning for your word to us. And we thank you, Lord, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you gave your spirit to these disciples so that they would write your words, so that today we would have the New Testament in front of us, which is your very God-spoken word. Father, we thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit was there to teach and remind them of all that your son said and did. And Father, this morning, we just thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We thank you for his love and obedience to your purposes and will. Thank you, Lord, that Satan has no hold on him because he was sinless. And yet for our sake, he became sin. Father, this morning, as you have brought us into relationship with yourself because of all that Jesus has done, the challenge to us, Father, is to love you and to love your commandments and your teaching. Father, forgive us for saying that we love Jesus, but not following his word. Father, help us, we pray, to think through those different aspects of our life so that as a church, as somebody at work or university or in school, that we would say we love Jesus and follow his ways in those different spheres of life. Lord, thank you that you give us the Holy Spirit and your word to remind us of your teaching and to follow in it. This morning, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you'll help us, Lord, to praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.